Hello, and welcome to the inaugural episode for season two of the Permissionless Podcast, where we explore journeys into the unknown with creatives and entrepreneurs. We chat about everything from risk-taking to crafting your own reality to making big leaps in life and business and living a permissionless life. As a little side note, I am really excited to announce that we're officially listed as a Spotify podcast. So if you're a Spotify user, you can look us up under Permissionless and give us a follow. Now, without further ado, let's roll right into episode one. Hi, and welcome to the Permissionless Podcast. I'm your host, Selena Vidya, and I'm so glad that you're joining me for season two. I have a fantastic guest today. I'm really excited for you to meet him. I think the best way to introduce David is to start by saying he's an artist and creator. So to paint a bit of a picture for you, he's the founder of Exertion Films. He's an actor, producer, screenwriter, motivational speaker, spoken word poet, and so much more. I mean, you've accomplished so much. I'd really love to walk through and just talk through everything over the course of this interview. Hey, yeah. Thank you for having me. Hello, audience. (laughs) So how are you? I'm great. I'm great. Every day I, I'm in a perpetual state of gratitude. You know, I like to uh, say that uh, life is uh, partly sunny, partly cloudy, but mostly fair. I love that. Just saying it's about the weather because I feel like as life goes on, you have a lot of challenges. You have a lot of success and failures. So that's just a, a very optimistic and great way to think about it. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that the, the reality of it is that life is always in session. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that uh, our state of happiness, which is going to be an inside job, is going to be perpetuated through the contact lens by which you choose to see the world. And uh, we make an active choice every day on how we choose to live our lives. We can live our lives coming from a place of abundance or you can live your life coming from a place of scarcity. Either way, you're, you're correct. And so I, I think it really is individually based as to how you see this world. We also, uh, in the macro perspective, live in the United States of America. So even our poorest people suffer from first world problems. So our problems aren't really that real compared to the rest of the human beings on this floating ball of water. All we have to do is open up the news to get a glimpse of of the current state of the world right now. <laughs> yeah, and 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 again, I, and I think that I watch the news. I, I watch the news, and I'm in tune to what's going on. Um, I think at least domestically, um, and um, you know that's another uh, an opportunity for you to lose some of your abundance if you choose to get caught into the centrifuge of the distraction of of the chaos of this administration um, and the chaos of America currently. So I think it's also important for the audience or the member of this, of our community, unless you actively work in politics to just tap in and tap out and know what you should take and know what you shouldn't take and what you should fight for uh, because you only have so much energy throughout the day. Yeah. And I'm going to jump in just for a second here, but I know that I'm really good at derailing when it comes to politics. So I'm going to stop myself, but um, you know, expelling your energy and also maintaining your energy is so important. This morning has been a lot of the Kavanaugh hearings and, you know, all of that going on. And I've just had to check in momentarily, get a glimpse of what's going on, because I know that I can't live in the outrage going through it and I will be upset. So maintaining your energy and dispelling it as you need to is a great point. Yeah. And, you know, for whatever it's worth, and and I I agree, let's not get caught up into a centrifuge of political chatter, but you know, what we're seeing and, and, and a lot of what happens, not even just in this administration, but even in previous administrations, is the sensationalism through media. You know, the, the circus spectacle that's created through the, new, through the daily news cycle. And so a lot of this shit is, is, is heavy, but a lot of this shit is not as big as the news makes it seem. 
Um, the political theater that we're seeing in, in Washington right now is unfortunate. It's at the expense of the taxpayers' dollars. I think that the subtext behind what's going on in the, in the Kavanaugh uh, testimony is unfortunate. Um, but the positive side of it is that it is disruption. And mm-hmm. historically, we need disruption to get to a place of serenity, whether that be the civil rights movement, whether that be women's right to vote, uh, African-American right to vote, the abolition of, of slavery, um, and so on and so forth. I mean, even colonialism, for Christ's sake, you know, there was massive death and destruction of the Native Americans until it finally got to the point that colonialism actually settled. So um, I know that those are big sort of macro examples, but the the uprising um, for women's rights right now, I think, is absolutely mandatory so that we can get to a place of, of stabilism uh, for future generations to come. So um, I tap in, I tap out, I accept it, I support it, um, but I don't let it own me. And a lot of mm-hmm. people are getting caught up in the ownership of what isn't even their problem. I feel like you've cultivated a really interesting perspective um, and global view and view into your own mindset. I'd love to kind of take it back and see a little bit of what might have brought that about. So you're originally from the East Coast? Yeah, yes. Um, I'm, I'm du- I have dual citizenship. I have a Brazilian passport and an American passport. My mother's from Bahia, Brazil, and half of my family lives in Sao Paulo on my mother's side. The other half of my family uh, scattered across um, the eastern board of Pennsylvania, upstate New York, and that sort of area. Um, mm-hmm. I was born and raised um, in upstate New York and then um, lived all over in various places in the world, Brazil and uh, Mexico City, and then back to upstate and graduated from Arizona State University and uh, now live in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So throughout all of that traveling from place to place and, you know, even experiencing different cultures, what we do say is something that helped you keep the mindset of stability as you were going through a lot of these changes. (laughs) Um, I don't think that any specific geographic location gave me what I feel I have today. Now, let me just give you a disclaimer. The things that I think I know today, I will laugh about five years from now. Um, I think that this notion of stability that you're asking about is not a result of geography, but a result of maturity. And I think that it's a result of the polarity of success and failure. I think that this sort of organization, this emotional organization that I've stepped into most recently is a direct result of having fucked up so many times and a direct result of having self-sabotage so many times um, mm. that, you know, you get to a point in your life where you start to understand that the fire is hot and you don't put your fucking hand in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that is really the real answer. I don't think that any specific geography had anything to do with it. The geography certainly play into my sort of, you know, my global awareness and my sensitivity for culture, uh, my awareness of culture, my my sort of globalism in terms of my perspective. Um, but uh, when it comes to like, you know, just being grounded and focused and coming from a place of, of real spiritual strength, that's a result of maturity and experience. So one of the things that the permissionless audience really loves to explore is if they're trying to make a big change, take a big leap, do something unconventional in their lives, they have to pull kind of inwards and learn different successes and failures that they've experienced and how to apply that. So I was going to jump into this later in the discussion, but you did bring up the failure aspect. Do you have something or many things that you've considered failures that truly help to shape your success and mindset today? Oh, I mean, a a fuck ton. 
I mean, more than I can count. Um, look, I'm pretty transparent about my story. I mean, you could read up on me. I, I, I never graduated from high school. I was expelled from five or six high schools. You know, I came back from, uh, from Mexico City, um, having lived a very silver spoon life, you know, speaking fluent Spanish with a Mexican accent. Um, and, and, and I spoke English with an English accent. So all my teachers were from the UK when I was living in, in, in Mexico City. And so when I came back, it was like the, the, the children in the public school system in upstate New York, they really didn't accept me. And I didn't understand why. So they beat the shit out of me. And so, you know, I, I had a big chip on my shoulder. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't black enough because I wasn't immersed in African-American hip hop culture. I wasn't Latino enough because I was like brown and I spoke with a Mexican accent and on the East Coast, they're all Puerto Ricans and Dominicans. Um, so, and I certainly was white um, and I was in a, a white upper class neighborhood. So there was a lot of culture shock and I had a big resentment and I carried a lot of chips on my shoulder. As a result of that, there was a lot of insubordination in my early years. Um, that led me to some incredibly dark places. And so I use this example because I want the audience to listen to my experience and be able to look within yourself and say, okay, what dark places have I been to in my life that forced me to look at the other side of the crescent? Because there's this thing called G-O-D, an acronym, G-O-D, which is the gift of desperation. And when you get to a point where you experience the gift of desperation, you start looking for other answers outside of yourself. You start looking for other ways to make your life better. How am I going to get out of this dark, you know, encrusted, coal-filled place that I've created for myself? And how am I going to reinvent myself? And that takes a lot of internal strength. It takes a lot of focus. It takes a lot of diligence and a lot of, uh, of eye blinders on, not only just emotionally, but also culturally, to get yourself out of that place of desperation so that you can find the lighter side of the crescent. Because once you walk into that, the warmth of the sunlight, then you understand that there is another way. But you've got to get to a point so you're beaten into submission to even want to consider exploring something else. Because before you got beaten into submission, you were living in complacency. But your complacency was comfortable. And so you're going to live in that comfort until that comfort exasperates you. And once that comfort exasperates you, then you're going to start looking at other ways. In other words, you're going to make yourself uncomfortable to find another way to explore life. So hopefully once you get into that exploration, then you can find a way to better oneself. But you got to get beaten up first. Yeah. And the complacency aspect, I love that you mentioned that because I talk so much and to so many people about the idea of complacency. And a lot of people confuse complacency with being comfortable. And when they're in that specific area, they don't do anything that negatively affects their life, but they don't do anything that positively affects their life. They essentially stunt their growth because they're in that area of complacency. And that is a very dangerous place to be. But as far as, you know, hitting the bottom and coming from that place of desperation, I was talking to a friend yesterday about this very topic because we both, you know, had some periods in our life the past year or two where we feel like we've gotten to that deep, dark spot and we've been trying to make radical changes and it gets difficult. But you have that moment where you're faced with, do I get out of this hole and do I make the change that I need to make? Or am I just going to accept it and be complacent and know that nothing is going to change for me? You know, you're, and, and you're right. And, and, and the thing is, when you think about the word complacency, people use that as a, as, a, as a synonym, but they also generalize what the definition of the word is. See, complacency refers to basically an uncritical satisfaction of yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So, In other words, the root of being uncritical of oneself is rooted in arrogance, which is rooted in ego, which is rooted in I'm good enough, I got this. And 
the the story behind that is if you are complacent and you are arrogant and you are uncritical of oneself and one standing, that means you're not teachable. If you're not teachable, that means you're not available to a solution or another idea, which means you have no humility. You have no interest in hearing anything outside of what your own thinking has created for yourself. Um, and so if you can remove the ego and you can try to remain teachable and hear and look for other perspectives, then you can step out of complacency. Because complacency is a sloth. Let's not get it twisted. A lot of people confuse complacency with sloth, mm-hmm. which are two very different things. Complacency is a result of ego. Sloth is a result of laziness. For sure. For sure. So, so as far as, as you mentioned, mentioned um, you know, the area where you need to kind of drop your ego and you need to do that in order to learn. So there's the school of life for learning where you learn through kind of what you take in and what you experience from other people. And you can choose to put that into your mindset to improve. But there's also the idea of mentors, whether they're intentional or unintentional or somebody that you look to where you can take kind of nuggets of how they've improved themselves in order to put that with yourself. Have you had anybody like that unintentional or intentional throughout your life that you would look at as somebody who, who helped shape you in those dark times or did you really, really turn inward and that's what pulled you out? Well, I think it's a, um, I mean, what you're, what you're asking is, is, is a very um, broad and esoteric question. The answer above all is yes, 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 yes. Right. Um, the unintentional mentor is related to what I mentioned to, I think previously what I mentioned to is your perspective on life, right? And your vision, right? Because it's like the the unexpected mentor is available to you if you know what you're looking for, right? So for example, if I'm involved, if I'm operating at a certain vibrational frequency within myself, which could be a frequency of success, I inevitably are going to see things in my life that are success oriented or, or that are synonymous with the path that I've chosen for myself. If I choose to vibrate at a lower frequency, I will see things that are equated to that particular frequency, right? And so when you make yourself available for the unintentional or the invisible or the unexpected mentor, when you make yourself available to that, they will come to you. So the answer is yes. Um, throughout my life, uh, everybody has somebody that you lean on. The thing is that we get smarter about who we lean on as we get older. There's a reason why the rich stay rich. Because when the rich have a question about business, they don't ask their cousin Eddie, who's got the mechanic shop down the street, right? Mm-hmm. They, they consult with an attorney. <laughs> they consult with a professional in the field. So, um, And as you get older, you, 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 you begin to decipher where you should be placing your advisory energy. As a result of that, you can then mentor people in a more efficient way. Now, mentoring people is incredibly important because what that does, if you're mentoring people in an efficient and in a proper spiritual manner, then what you can do is truly advise people on where to go in their lives. You will then see results in their life, which will feed your self-estimation, which will stack your vertebrae, which will make you a better person. Because we don't, we can't act our way into self-esteem or fake our way into self-esteem. We have to behave our way into self-esteem by performing esteemable acts. Understand what I'm saying? And so as a result of that, the proper mentorship will stack my vertebrae, which will raise my frequency, which will get me to the place where I'm going to find the right mentors to mentor me. So there is that old saying that says, where do you want to live? You want to be the happy medium of maybe the five to seven people that you surround yourself with most. So I want to have two people that I mentor and two people that mentee me and somewhere I can hover at the equator because what that does is that keeps me balanced. 
It reminds you where I came from, but also gives me an outlook of where I'm going. And by staying somewhere, hopefully floating in the middle, I could stay on the razor's edge of that polarity of success and failure. Because while I learn or am reminded of the people that I mentor, their failures that they're experiencing will remind me of what I've been through. And then I will see what the people that are mentoring me are experiencing and what I have to look forward to. But also absorbing their experience to make sure that I don't fall into the same pitfalls. In my book, I'm writing a new book that I'm just finishing called Pursue, Reach, Attain, Retain, Repeat. Say that again. Pursue, Reach, Attain, Retain, Repeat. And in this book, I illustrate what I think are three different components of people in this world. I think that you've got wise people who learn through suggestion. You've got smart people who learn through experience. And then you have dumb fucks that never learn. And then, of, and then of course, there's sociopaths. But let's not talk about them because those people are just fucked anyways. But out of those three categories, I think that most people can accept when you get to a point in your life that you are one of all three. And you have been at least one of all three. Nobody is always just one. I mean, even Buddha was always wise. Right, He was the prodigal son before he became Buddha. Uh, and so these are the things that we learn throughout life. And the, the invisible mentors and the active mentors, they come into our lives. But as we get older, we start to understand what they are. You know, when I was standing on the corner on a liquor store drinking a 40 ounce and I had an old timer telling me, hey, young buck, you know, you got to watch where you step, you know, because you never know who you're going to step on. I didn't know that that sort of trivial tongue in cheek advice was an invisible mentor. But now, 20 years later, I know that it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting how things that stick with you, even if it's from a stranger or especially if it's from a stranger who doesn't know you and they're just kind of seeing you for as you are, they can give you these little nuggets that at the time you're like, what the hell is this guy saying? Like this, just leave me alone. And then you think back and you're like, oh, I get it. He was coming from, you know, a wiser place that he's been in his life. And he's trying to impart that on me, whether he intended to or not. Um, you also brought up the interesting thing in just everything you were discussing, which is the idea of the circle. So a lot of people, you know, as they're trying to break through or they're trying to just really grow in their lives, they get stuck where they are because they, they don't know how to kind of shed people who don't, I guess, respond or respect what they're doing. And they also don't know how to cultivate the people into their circle that they really either look up to, want to build a relationship with, or feel that they can help. And so the idea of the personal advisory board where you have specific people in your circle and you're all willing to either be the mentee or the mentor, great things can come out of that because you need transparency in your life and you need people who you can trust if you really want to make a change that is long lasting. Yeah, I, I agree with everything that you said. I mean, having a, a, a quote, a proverbial board of directors in your life is is really crucial and vital. I mean, you want to have real people to, to, to bounce board off of. But what we're talking about here from a life perspective is we're talking about, you know, we're not talking about junior, senior, high school level. We're talking about graduate level shit here. You know what I'm saying? The vast majority of people aren't thinking about these kinds of things um, because they are not interested in being confrontational onto oneself. Right. So an advisory board within my circle, which I do have, um, are people that are not only going to support my endeavors, but are also going to call me on my shit. Mm -hmm. And if I select them properly, I'm selecting them as a result of my strengths, but also as a result of my character defects. 
And so to be confrontational enough to oneself to investigate oneself and understand one's true weaknesses and one's true strengths is something that many people really aren't interested in doing. People are just so happy to just be caught up in the siphon of what is their everyday life. Get up, get some breakfast, go to work, go to the gym, mow the lawn, feed the dog, check the kids, go to bed, get up, go to work. And they don't want to be looking at outside of that amoeba that they've created for themselves. Listen, doing what you're talking about is not easy. And happiness is not easy. And success is not easy. Because success is just as fleeting as happiness. And it often is related and and, and barometered by things that are outside of ourself. You know, when you're successful... People will, when you're a quote unquote successful, let's so, so let's say, you know, you earn a lot of money or for me being an actor, I earn the big role in the series regular, they're going to praise me. But when the show gets canceled, they're going to ridicule. And if I'm not doing much, they won't call, you know, so you have to be strong to really understand what's going on inside yourself to be able to manage, balance and achieve success. And also, as you said, find the right board of directors, the right committee not just any old committee. And the one thing that you had touched on is kind of, you know, when you experience these dark, dark times or you know that your success isn't viewed the same way with other people, whether it's, you know, your show getting canceled and things like that. I think there's the aspect of a lot of people want to be, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this. There's always a, a benefit to the way people choose to live their lives. But I've been thinking a lot about the perpetual optimist and there's a book I was reading about a year or two ago called the upside of your dark side, where it says that there is so much to be learned when you explore the darker aspects and the failures and things that you go through, even if it's, you know, something that you're feeling from the way that somebody has treated you or something in your career or something in your personal life, there's so much to be learned from not just looking always at the positive, but cultivating a healthy balance of this is a negative, this is a positive, this is how I move forward. I think a lot of that also comes down to just truly being present. You know, you talked about going through the motions of the day, like get up, um, go to work, move the lawn, you know, check the kids and stuff like that. And I think if we can cultivate a lot more presence in our life and just being present in the moment, we can be aware of other people and how we can help them and how we can help ourselves. Hmm. Well, I, I, I believe that being of service to people is absolutely paramount to being in a state of mental and spiritual success and walking into perpetual success. Um, anything, at least recently, I can say, anything that is good in my life has been a direct result of helping somebody else. Um, and it is very important to be aware of that. It is very important to be aware to give away love. When you also talked about the darkness of the past, um, I, I just shared recently something on my Instagram. For anybody that's out there that's interested in anything that I have to fucking say, um, go on the Bianchi experience and you that's just leadership and motivation and that kind of stuff. And then my personal IG is, is David Bianchi underscore official. If any of this stuff makes sense to you. Now, what I and a lot of these talks I have on my IG. So one of the talks I just recently mentioned was the idea of the past defines who we are, but the past doesn't need to define my present. You understand what I'm saying? Because I have a past. I have a past full of resentments. 
I have a future full of insecurities. And if I live in either or, I can't really be in the present. So there is a difference between representing who I am or representing who I was. Many people fall into this idea that, yo, represent, represent. That's something that's used in the hip hop community. Yo, I'm going to represent who I am. Okay, cool. So David is going to represent who he is today at 2018 and pieces of him are defined by his past, but I am not going to represent who I was. So there's a difference between representing and representing. And that's what I think is an important argument to what you're talking about, which is making sure that our past informs our present, but does not define it. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot of people will hold on to, say, for example, um, abuse, um, being bullied, um, being hurt, either physically, or spiritually, emotionally. Oftentimes, these things happen in our lives and in the moment are out of our control. We may have been physically overpowered. We may have been socially ridiculed. I didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve that in that moment, which is true. No one deserves to be hurt. However, if it's 10 years later and I'm still living in that hurt, that's my responsibility. It's my responsibility to figure out how to break apart the tartar of that problem so that I can live free today. Because me holding on to something that happened to me 10 years ago, it is not as easy here, it's not as easy said than done, is my responsibility. Because representing my present as opposed to representing my past is really individually based. And that takes a lot of internalization, a lot of internal work. Um, and so that's why I, I, refl- I reflect back to this is this is like, you know, master's level shit. This is not street level shit. This is people that are really, really interested in pursuing and actively finding change and finding a better way to live one's life. So mm-hmm. I think that that's a, hopefully that, that idea of, of living in a positive present tense has a lot to do with releasing and figuring out honest ways to release the pain of our past. I love the way that you would phrase that because I've never thought about it in that way, how you represent yourself versus what you think about yourself versus what's in your past versus what's in your present. I think before we kind of move on into the career side, because we, we've gotten into such a great discussion and I I wish we could just keep talking about this, but I know there's a lot of career related things I do want to touch on, um, on that side of things. So I think the ability to observe your thoughts versus live in your thoughts is something that is very difficult. But if it can be cultivated over time, you can kind of separate like what you're saying with your past, separate, learn from it, but don't let it inform and let it build upon in your present. That's 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 um, that's such a layered thought. Um, observing your thoughts as opposed to living in your thoughts. Um, how do I live in a constant like third person um that's powerful to even think about i'm gonna sit on that um you know because thoughts become things Mm -hmm. right um i manifest my reality from a place of what i perceive in my mind like i absolutely agree if it could be perceived it can be achieved um and it's going to be up to me as to what i seek out of my life that is directly related to my thoughts You know, I work every day. First thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I meditate. No matter what, I don't even look at my phone. I get on my knees. I talk to my God, my version of God, which is not a religious God. 
Um, and then I, and then I do my best to just sit in silence and center my mind. And I talk to the universe and I ask for proper positioning. I ask for the strength to, to be the best person that I can be, to be focused, to be honest, to, to try to reserve my negative thoughts so that they don't get expunged into the world. And this is a daily practice that I have to do um, so that I don't live in negativity because my ego runs rampant. Um, but I need to recenter myself every day. So it's interesting to hear you say, um, observe your thoughts as opposed to living in them, because we can train our minds to create the right pattern of thoughts to overpower the negative ones that might pop up on a daily basis. Because if I live in a state of gratitude, which is an abundance of positive thoughts, when someone cuts me off in traffic, I likely won't lose my cool. But if I but if I start my day in a pattern of negative thoughts, oh, this business partner didn't call me back. Why didn't she do this? Why did this happen? I hate it when the flies are banging against the window. Why is my neighbor being loud? If I wake up in that and then I drive in traffic and someone cuts me off, odds are I'm going to snap into road rage. Right? So we can train ourselves to be in a place of serenity depending on where we wake up and how we choose to maneuver through our day. Yeah, that's an area that I'm actively trying to improve right now. So, you know, much like you had said, it's, it's it is so tough. It's and, hard. you know, the, the technology aspect makes it difficult too. So I've, I now leave my phone across the room. I don't touch it in the morning. I've been working on meditation. I find that very difficult. It's hard for me to kind of silence my thoughts. So what I've been trying to do instead is when I wake up, I have different affirmations that I think about. So I'm training my brain to think about them as soon as I wake up before any anxiety or any negative thought can try to infiltrate my brain, which helps me get into the day in a happy state. But I applaud the meditation aspect because it is difficult. I don't know if it's just you know my own personal journey, but silencing and kind of letting your mind do its thing in the morning is very tough for me. It is. It's, it's, look, it's very tough for me. And I'm not going to tell you that my silence isn't noisy. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, my, my silence is noisy. Um, but even if I come out of a noisy silence, and if you guys meditate out there, you know what that means. Um, even if I spend 10 minutes in a noisy silence, I can step out of that noisy silence knowing that I at least started my day doing for self. I started out my day doing enough for myself to step into the world and make the world a better place as a result of how I started. It's like making your bed every day, you know, um, making your bed is important. I once heard a Marine, uh, a military man speaking online about why the importance of making one's bed at the end of the day, you know, you can come home knowing that you did at least something for yourself, no matter what the world threw at you. And I think that the meditation practice is indeed a practice. It's just like anything else. You'll be doing it for the rest of your life. And slowly, the, 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 the loud silence gets quieter. And hopefully, you can get in touch with your inner third voice, which is, I don't know, similarly, the voice of God. Who knows? So you start your day with meditation. You have so many projects that you're juggling and things that you're working on. What does a typical day look like for you after that point? Wow. Uh, spinning plates, spinning plates. Uh, I mean, like today, uh, you know, I was up late last night learning lines, um, had a meeting today with, um, with casting at lethal weapon, just left that. And now I'm on a podcast with you. And then I've got to go to meet with, um, casting at HBO. 
Um, immediately thereafter, I'm back on conference calls um, with my with my producing team because I'm in mid-production on my fifth movie. And then I go to a photo shoot and then I go to an event tonight. Um, somewhere in between there, I, I always make time to journal. Um, I'm writing a book. You know, it's, just, it's ebbs and flows, you know. Um, and then when I'm on a show, if I'm sitting in a trailer, then I have a laptop. Um, because a lot of times as an actor, I'm paid to wait. But when I'm producing, I'm constantly firing. Um, and I think that you, you know, you and I have collaborated a little bit. You've seen me working as a producer, so you know how all-consuming it is. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the truth is, is that I just have faith that everything is going to work out. I, I, I've, I've educated myself through life's lefts and right jabs to train me into knowing that everything is already taken care of. Everything already is okay. My future is already planned out for me. The miracle, the miracle is already there. I just have to stay on the path. Um, I was just recently at Agape, and I heard Michael Bernard Beck was say something really moving to me. And he says, you know, um, he said that my future is uncertain, but I'm certain who holds my future. Right? So I come from a place of faith knowing that everything is just going to be okay. I love that. And it also ties into, you know, we, we do create our own realities. What we see and believe and think truly crafts what, where our life goes. We are 100% in control. It may not seem like it at the time, but there are lessons and things that happen for reasons that will continue to put us on our path. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, 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 am, I am a workaholic. I love to work. I love to step into the activity of being an artist. Um, people ask me, you know, David, what, do you, what are you? And I say, well, I'm an artist first. Um, I guess professionally, I'm an actor second, uh, writer, producer, uh, poet, um, screenwriter, director, lover, madman, not necessarily in, in the ending order. But, but, you know, people know me mostly as an actor. Um, and I produce things that I act in. And I know that I have a, a myriad of talents that God has placed in me. And so I love stepping into those talents. I love knowing that I'm beginning to and have been leaving a legacy. You know, I go to museums often and I'm always floored by when I go to an exhibit and I see an artist who, who is now postmortem, but, you know, left behind an army of paintings and poetry and photography and film. And they just left this massive body of work for the world to consume, you know, post their departure. And that's what I envision and see myself doing. And that's what I do on a daily basis is I want to leave a legacy. I want to leave behind me a trail of uh, hopefully um, highly regarded, sophisticated art. Um, that people can look at and say, man, you know, yeah, Bianchi left an impact on this planet and, and he changed lives. And that's what I hope that I can do. And that's why I really enjoy motivational speaking and I enjoy leadership speaking. I recently just taught a master class for uh, Nosotros, which is the largest uh, actors organiz- Latino actors organization in L.A. Because I'm always very interested in reminding people that all the greatness that they need is inside of them. They just need to harvest it and manifest it. And I hope that my art can do the same thing. And you said something really cool when you talked about the stranger, the the, the invisible mentor or the indirect mentor. 
When it comes to art, and for all you artists out there, all you really have is your name, right? You have your signature. If you're creating art, and in your innermost spirit, you feel that it's not good, and you feel it's lackluster, shelf it. Chalk it up as chalk it up as practice, right? Because all you have in the artistic world is your name. People are going to recognize you by the last piece of work that you left behind. People, they say in Hollywood, you're only as good as your last movie. You're only as good as your last show. Well, I think a lot of that is true. So when people hear the name David Bianchi, they're going to correlate it to sophisticated and smart art. Um, and going back to the idea of the stranger is that I've, I've always decided and I really feel that the testament of good art is what is placed in this public format. So whether it's a painting, a poem, a film, a live performance, a stand-up comedy show, um, a modern dance, uh, you know, silk dancing, aerial dancing, whatever it is that you do. When you put it on public display and the complete stranger takes time out of their life to cross that room and applaud you honestly for what you did, then you know you've created good art. You know you've moved someone, that you've evoked a catharsis in someone. That's when you know, because your friends are always going to pat you on the back and masturbate you and placate you. But it's when the stranger comes across the room and says, wow, that was powerful. That's when you know you're doing your job. And when you, when that, when you have that experience, stay on that track. You're doing the right thing. You know, I, I think a lot of artists have trouble choosing themselves because we're in, a, we're in a day and age right now where technology makes things so incredible, where we can reach audiences. You had mentioned the David Bianchi experience, um, Bianchi experience Instagram, where, you know, you have motivational snippets that people can watch. And artists have such trouble sometimes bypassing the gatekeepers and really choosing themselves and saying, I'm going to put my work out there. I don't care, you know, if initially nobody, nobody watches it, nobody looks at it, nobody comes. I have complete confidence in what I'm putting out. And I know, you know, in your past, you do have uh, exertion films and you've produced your own films. Do you have a point in time that you can kind of pinpoint where you knew that the direction you took this and choosing yourself is really what you needed to do to push your art out there? I mean, I don't know that there was a specific, uh, a white light moment per se. Um, if I go back to 2000, when I was at theater school at Arizona State, there was no film minor at Arizona State. So I started a film club. They had cameras and they had some couple teachers, a couple professors there that understood film. So we sort of pulled all our resources together and we created a film club because there was no film minor. Because I knew that I eventually wanted to bridge the gap between theater and film. And so while I was on campus, I directed my first short film. I had no idea how to do what I was doing, but I pulled together enough faculty that they could guide me through it. I didn't know how to write a script. So I started reading scripts and I looked at the format and I was like, oh, that's how you do it. So then I wrote my first screenplay based on reading scripts. I never took a screenwriting class. Right. Um, when I moved to Los Angeles, you know, look, I'm sleeping on the floor. I got cockroaches in the kitchen. I don't got a pot to fucking piss in, you know. And I came to L.A. believing that L.A. was waiting for me, but I quickly found out that it wasn't, <laughs> you know. And so I ended up producing my first short film back in 2006. And as a result of that, I ended up organizing a good enough team. And that film performed quite well at the festival level. And this was just a short film that played a few festivals. We won a couple festivals. But that's when I was like, holy shit, this is where it's at for me. I'm going to just produce things and just do it my own way. You know, because a lot of people, you talked about the gatekeeper and I was on a, I was on a panel at a film festival once. And the question was, how do I get my foot in the door? 
And everybody had a different answer. You know, you got to get an agent. You got to get a headshot. You know, you got to do this. I'm like, what fucking door are you talking about? Really, please help me understand. What fucking door are you talking about? Just build a frame and walk through it. Your first frame is going to fall apart because you don't know how to nail right. You don't know how to sand the wood. You don't know how to glue. You don't know how to bevel edges. But eventually, you're going to keep going and you're going to become a craftsman and people are going to hire you to build doors for them. Or they're going to ask you to walk through your doors. And that has been the result of what has happened in my experience as a producer. You see what I'm saying? And even if you look at some of the greats of our game, look at Steven Spielberg. He wasn't looking for a fucking door. He just started walking. He just kept, he just started walking. Robert Rodriguez, you know, he, he openly says, look, everybody's got 10 bad movies in their system. So hurry up and start making bad movies so you can start making good movies. Um, just put in your time and become a master at what you do. I think that applies to any discipline. Um, the gatekeeper, if you want to look at it that way, is a blockade from your experience. I don't, I don't disregard the word no. I embrace the word no. If you tell me no, that means I'm not going to go straight anymore. I'm going to go left or right, but I'm going to keep moving. So I don't necessarily see this thing called the gatekeeper. What I do see is I see transitions. I see rites of passage. I see rungs in the ladder. I see the perpetual climb. The sweat, blood, tears, calluses on your hands are part of the process, right? But I don't think that there really is a gatekeeper because at the end of the day, we got to get ourselves out of bed. If there really is any real gatekeeper, it's inside of you. Mm -hmm, exactly. It's not outside of you because people can tell you no 50 times in Hollywood and then you make a choice as to whether or not you want to cower and go home. Or you can make a choice to persevere. Straight up. And I think a lot of that too just starts with simply taking action. You know, a lot of what you had just spoken about is you made the choice to take action. And I love that because without action, you can sit and you can wish and you can wait for the agent or you can wait for the manager. But if you're waiting, you're just wasting time. And so the door example is a great one. And I also think about a table. If you're wanting a seat at somebody else's table, why don't you just make the table and invite people that you want at the table with you to grow? You know, you want to cultivate that, those relationships, those people to work with. And that's really where I think you can truly enjoy life and, and work and development and all of that. Exactly. And, and what you need to, and, 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 and in addition to what you just said, and I think you made some great points about cultivation, right? That's a very, very interesting way to look at success because it truly is cultivation. Life happens in seasons. The planet spins at a certain pace. The sun rises and sets. There are cycles in life for a reason. So you have to accept the cultivated process. We can't not always be in harvest, right? Mm -hmm. You have to sow the soil. And so you have to be willing to accept the process, respect the process, and have patience for the process. Not to say that you shouldn't be working your ass off. You absolutely should. But you have to also accept that these things take time. Overnight success, on average, takes 10 years. The one thing that a lot of people say is, oh, well, it happens so fast. And especially in Hollywood, you see that because you only see kind of the, the highlight reel. You see what's in front of your face. But especially, you know, as an actor or producer or writer, anybody who's in a a creative aspect, even an, an artist, a painter, there's so much work in so many years and so many no's and so many scraps and all of these things until you finally see 
their success, but there's so much that actually goes into that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a great meme that I've shared on my Instagram and it's a, it's a picture of a ballerina's feet. And, um, you know, on, on her, on her right foot, she's got her slipper on, on her left foot, you see her exposed toes and her toes are mangled. Her cuticles are bleeding and they're wrapped in tape. I mean, they look vulgarly damaged. And the, and the meme says, everybody wants success until they realize what it takes. Everybody in Hollywood wants the red carpet, but nobody wants to be a waiter, right? Everybody wants to be a director, but nobody wants to carry a sandbag and set a C-stand and be told that they suck and be told that they're not good enough. Nobody wants that, but everybody wants the red carpet. Um, those things are earned. They are genuinely earned. And there are examples of people in Hollywood that have acquired instant snap finger success, walked on the street, got discovered, now they're in a reality show, or walked on the street, got discovered, and gotten something. But a lot of those people don't persevere because many of the overnight successes, quote unquote, are oftentimes a substitute for substance. Mm-hmm. You know? the, the constant artistic integrity and the reinvention of oneself is an inside job that is a mechanism that only the individual can do. You, for example, you know, you see things a certain way as a result of your experiences. So when it comes to art, only you can create the art that you create. I can't do it. I have no, I have no physical capacity to create what you create, which is why everyone is truly unique. But if you harness that work and make it razor sharp, the people will realize that what you offer is absolutely unique and specific only to you, which is why they're going to look for you because you're the only one that can create and deliver that. I 100% agree. And I I love the term reinvention that you had mentioned because I think, and this kind of goes back to the complacency talk at the beginning and a lot of the things we discussed, when people are afraid to reinvent themselves, they they don't want to do it sometimes because they think they're good how they are and they shouldn't have to change and adapt. But change change and adaptation is one of the main things that spurs growth. And you have to be able to look at yourself and say, I'm ready for the next step. This is a reinvention of me. Well, yeah, I mean, shit, we're, it's 2018's over. If you're not thinking about 2020, you're behind the ball. You know what I'm saying? It's like the only thing that is constant, the only thing that is guaranteed is change. And it's going to be up to you as to whether you want to evolve or not. You know, you are going to get older, you're going to age, you're going to change regardless. Now, whether you want your psyche to change with that is up to you. And reinvention, that's a guaranteed part of the process. You know, think about the gestation period with projects. You talked about how long things take, you know. The average gestation to produce any independent film, the average gestation is seven years. You can search that. From idea to pencil scratch to treatment to script to development to money to producing to post to delivery to release. It's a long time. And by the time you're done with that process, if you get there, You should already be reinventing yourself through that process. So while I'm producing the film that I'm on right now, I'm thinking about what's coming in 2020. I'm thinking about what's coming in 2019 because the marketplace is ever evolving and you need to be prepared for that. Just like going back to the idea of seasons, you know, when it comes to trends, when it comes to fashion, when it comes to arts and it comes to film, it is very, very trendy. And that makes it very fickle because it's audience, it's, it's, it's audience dictated. And so what worked in the summer isn't going to work in the fall and isn't going to work in the spring. <laughs> so, you know, you always need to be looking forward to what is going to be the next level of, of your reinvention. I mean, music is a great example of that. Oftentimes, 
you know, people's debut albums are like explosive and revolutionary and groundbreaking because you're going into it with this constant state of hunger. And oftentimes sophomore efforts in music are lackluster because there's no longer hunger, right? You now have the studio, you have the label, you have comfort, you know? And so the real artists make something revolutionary on a, on a sophomore attempt. The ones that are substitutes for substance, they don't. And a lot oftentimes artists will phase away. Mm-hmm. Never lose that hunger. I think that's, that's something that we should always remember. Um, so know, Treat everything like it's your first project. And that's hard to do. And it's hard to do. You just got to just stay grateful. Nothing is promised and nothing is guaranteed. And if you can stay in that place knowing that you are owed nothing, that you can look at an opportunity and say, yeah, I'm lucky to be here. And when you look at things that way, if it's your 10th project or your second project, and you say, look, I'm lucky to be here, you're going to come from a place of, of real sincerity for the work and it will translate. I agree. So I want to be mindful of your time because it's about 45, 50 minutes in. So I do have a speed round where you can't really think about it. You can think for a moment, but you have to answer really quick. Are you ready? I mean, have I done anything less so far? (laughs) Not at all. Okay. So your favorite book or podcast, just one. Don't have one. Okay. Two badass songs that get you pumped up when you really need to get up and go. No idea. (laughs) Boldness, adaptability, fearlessness, and confidence. Which do you feel got you to where you are now? And what is one that you're constantly building upon? Fearlessness got me there. Um, What were the other examples? Boldness, adaptability, and confidence. Adaptability I'm always working on. Who is somebody that you truly feel lives permissionless? Ha! Elon Musk. (laughs) That is very true. What do you feel is one piece of advice that you could give somebody who wants to live permissionless and make the leap, but they are just stuck? They're mentally stuck. What's your one piece of advice? It is not people's perceptions by which you identify. Oh, I like that a lot. And lastly, is there anybody that you'd like to see on the permissionless podcast that you feel would be extremely inspiring? Um. I mean, there's 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 a, there's a lot of them. You know, uh, Reese on the tip of my tongue. There's a, there's a, there's a great um, great leadership coach, up and coming coach named Kelly Kristen, who is um, she would be powerful for your for your for your talk. She has this, this program called Pussy Power, mm-hmm. um, where she inspires women to embrace um, their femininity and embrace their sexuality and embrace who they are and not look at it as something to be ashamed of and something to be frowned upon as a result of a patriarchal society. She's a, and she's a, she's a powerful talker. Um, there, there's Sean, Sean Croxton is another, you know, powerful speaker. Uh, he's another great dude. Um, there's a lot of them out there. Um, Christopher Fulkins, great director who I work with. He's very, very into speaking big and boldly and proudly and coming from a win-win perspective. Um, he's one of the guys in my life that I lean on significantly, significantly that often reminds me to come from a place of abundance rather than a place of objectivity or judgment. Um, he's another guy you should talk to. Awesome. I'm going to take a look at all of them. I especially love what you had said that Kelly Kristen speaks on um, because that's just so powerful. So powerful. Yeah, she's, yeah. And she's great. You know, she's like a, she's a holistic RN and, um, you know, NLP practitioner and, um, you know, has a, a, yeah, she's great. You should definitely look into her. Will do.
So if people want to find you online, you did mention earlier, but just to reiterate, where are the best places that somebody can find you? Google, son, Google. <laughs> um, now I mean, I'll be in the streets. Now I mean, check me out. G-O-O-G-L-E. Now I mean, um, go to, um, on Instagram, you know, um, if you want to just, if you want to learn more about me as a human being, go to David Bianchi underscore official. Um, and then if you just want to have a destination just for inspiring and motivation and leadership talks, go to at Bianchi experience. Um, and then of course my personal site, which is David Bianchi.actor.actor. Um, and my work as a producer, you can find me at exertionfilms.com. exertion, like to exert energy. Um, as if that doesn't, as, as if that's not synonymous with me, right? You're a ball of energy. <laughs> Fucking hell, man. <laughs> and last but not least, so you mentioned your book earlier. Are there any other things coming up that you want people to keep a lookout for? Um, you, you know, there's a, there's a lot of projects that are sort of like in different stages. Um, but yes, my book is absolutely something that I'm very happy about. I'm very focused on. I'm, I'm, I'm looking to be published by the end of the year. Um, so pursue, reach, attain, retain, repeat. Um and a bunch of indie films that are going to be coming out. Um, my current film that I'm working on right now is called Catalyst, but we're not going to be releasing it until 2019 that I'm producing. I play one of the leads in. Um, yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of, you know, just Google me. There's a, there's a lot of stuff sort of going on. And right now in episodic season, there's some a lot of talks of different TV shows. Um, you know, my, my last TV appearance was on a show called Shooter on on USA. Um, and then before that I was on Westworld season two, um, and as well as animal kingdom this year. So, and there's some new shows are going to be coming out. Um, so keep your eyes open. Okay. So for the audience that's listening, all of this information will be in the show notes. So you'll be able to hop on his social accounts, check out his website. I'll put the name of the book and any of the films that he has mentioned along with his company. David, thank you so much for joining me. I expected it to be extremely interesting, but it started out and you've just set my day up for a lot of deep thoughts. So thank you. <laughs> well, Selena, thank you very much for thinking about me and, and, and being a part of my atmosphere. I'm very grateful to have you in my life. Thanks for the time. Thank you so much for tuning into the second season of Permissionless. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, share it with somebody that you think would love it, and stay tuned for episode two. We are a very small team, so any kind of sharing you can do, we 100% appreciate it. In the meantime, check us out on permissionless.com, and you can find me on all social networks as Selena Vidya. 